Welcome to Willingdon as we continue in our Opened and Unashamed series. Today I'm speaking about Psalm 37, which addresses the question, what do we do when good things happen to bad people? If this is your first time with us, I would encourage you uh, to join in the digital cafe and let us know where you're watching from. Don't you just hate injustice? I know I do. We experience injustice when we witness something that we think is unfair, when we feel that our rights or the rights of another have been violated. We can experience injustice on multiple levels. A simple level of injustice could be you're driving down Highway 1 and you see cars with only one person in them driving in the HOV lane. When I see that, I often think, where are the police when you need them? Now, the opposite is also true. Someone comes flying by me on the highway, speeding recklessly, and a few kilometers later, I see them pulled over by the police. What goes through my mind? There is justice in this world. I I get a great deal of joy out of that. What about on a more significant level? We've been preoccupied by the injustice of racism and the horrible death of George Floyd and the deep-seated sense of injustice experienced and expressed by African Americans, but also by other groups who have experienced historic and systemic racism and have been crying out for justice. We made a small attempt to initiate a discussion on racism at our recent I've Got Questions panel that was held last week. You can look at it on our website. A number of years ago, I had an experience where I felt I was being treated unjustly. Gwen and I were in the middle of our vacation processing the events swirling around our lives as we were driving through Riding Mountain National Park in Manitoba. Now, I know it's confusing having a park named after a mountain in Manitoba, but nonetheless, that's where we were. As we drove, we prayed and we questioned God, and we discussed how to proceed. The Holy Spirit led Gwen to Psalm 37, which became our go-to Bible passage in that season. Psalm 37, the psalm we're looking at today, had a huge impact on our lives. And today, as we continue in our open and unashamed series, we're going to examine what the writer of the Psalms, King David, had to say in answer to the age-old question, what should we do when it seems like wicked people are prospering? Psalm 37 verse 1 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. The NIV version of the Bible says, Don't worry. The CE version of the Bible says, Don't be annoyed. The word fret in verse 1 says, To grow hot is what it means. And I have to admit, when evil, wicked people prosper, I fret, I grow hot. According to the famous Greek philosopher Aristotle, we have a special emotion implanted in our nature which causes us to fret when we witness undeserved prosperity. It bothers us. We know it's wrong. Why not worry? Why not be annoyed? In our situation, I was annoyed. I was angry. I was fretting. So why not fret? Verse 2 tells us, for they will soon fade like grass and weather and wither like the green herb. The CEV Bible says, they will soon disappear like grass without rain. They won't last. Their lifespan is limited. Their prosperity is limited. Their prosperity will end. So how do you deal with your emotions, your frustrations, and your deeply felt sense of injustice? Psalm 37 doesn't just tell us what not to do. The psalm also tells us what to do in verse 3 where it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. 
Don't spend all your energy worrying about how the unjust are prospering. Don't spend all your emotional energy fretting about those who are manipulating people or situations or the law for their own benefit. Don't spend your time thinking, why God? Why don't things go my way? Don't spend all your time and energy justifying your actions. David's instructions for us are, don't go there. It's a dead-end road that leads to nothing but misery. So what does David tell us to do instead? Three simple words. Verse 2, trust in the Lord. That sounds so simple, so easy. But what does trusting in the Lord look like? Trusting begins when we very intentionally choose to depend on God rather than on ourselves. When we choose to begin each day with the words, God, I place my day, my life, my work, my family, my, you can fill in the blank, into your hands. I trust you. What if we don't feel like we can trust him in situations like that? That's where step two comes in. Step two is cry out to God. In Psalm 55, 17, David wrote, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. I filled pages and pages in my journals crying out to God. That's how I process. I write. I get real with God. I get open and unashamed before him. To cry out to God is to get real with him, to get loud, to get messy. It is both placing your full trust in him and expressing every question and misgiving to him. Friends, remember, putting our trust in God also becomes practical. We have to make choices because we will be tempted to betray the very trust we want to experience. And that's why we need to run from evil. You see, when we envy the prosperous evil person, we are often getting sucked into the values and priorities of that wicked or evil person. John, the biblical writer, describes those values as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, we want everything we see. We have a craving for physical pleasure, and we want to take pride in all that we have. The Bible says that's what evil or wicked people do. John wrote about that in the book of 1 John chapter 2. See, life works best when we remember God is the true source of everything and we run away from anything, no matter how good it looks, that takes us away from him. Run from evil. King Solomon, David's son, put it this way in the book of Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7. He said, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Shun evil. Run away from it. How do you know what to run away from? How do you get that perspective? You check yourself by God's word. Now, let's be honest. We aren't often so good at evaluating ourselves. We will go to great lengths to excuse our own behaviors, our own perspectives, and frankly, our own sins. If we're ever going to truly trust in God and flee evil, we have to know exactly where we stand with him. We have to find an objective measure, an objective standard that tells us the truth. And that truth comes from God and his word. David wrote about this in Psalm 119 when he said, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Fill your mind and your heart with God's truth from his word. Then you will have perspective. That is the standard. That is the measure. And then listen to the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit to know what to do. 
See, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to the church. He told his disciples that this counselor, the Holy Spirit, would be there and our spiritual GPS. Jesus said this, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John chapter 14. See, the Holy Spirit will guide you, will teach you, will lead you, will correct you and fill you with the truth so that we can truly rest in God's love. And it's the truth that we know from reading God's word. See, even in the midst of turmoil, God sticks with us and uses the challenges, the injustices that we may be experiencing, the frustrations that we're in the middle of to shape us. It is in that moment that our perspective often completely changes. No longer do we see our frustrations or the injustices around us as life-determining. They're still life-impacting, but not life-determining. We see them and experience them as moments when God, as our loving Father, works on us and he works in us and shows us his love and increasingly transforms us into the people he created us to be. Trusting God in the midst of injustice takes a wholehearted focus on him and on his ways. And doing so will teach us the truth of Jesus' promise in Matthew chapter 8, in the second half of verse 20, when he said, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God did this time and time again for Gwen and me. He was and is faithful. He reoriented our thinking. He carried us through as his people. He healed our hearts. And even though I can't say that everything turned out the way we had hoped, the result of trusting in God was what David talked about in verse 4 of Psalm 37. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you make God your priority, when you make his agenda your agenda, his kingdom purposes your purposes, you will find your delight in him. And then his true kingdom agenda becomes our agenda. The things that bring joy to him bring joy to us. That's the natural result of delighting in God. And out of that, we do good because we're aligned with him. Verse 3 states, Do that which he is leading you to do because you trust him, growing in him, walking in obedience to his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why things actually like life groups are so important, or even more so discipleship groups. They are places to learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in community. If you're not alone, sorry, if you're not in one, sign up for a life group today or start a D group with some friends. And we have resources online as to how to do that and places to sign up online. We would love to have you join community and to walk together, particularly through injustice. Now, what is the result of delighting in the Lord? You will receive the desires of your heart, the Bible says. So how does that work? So many people want to know how they can receive God's blessing on their lives. Very crassly put, people want to know, how do I get God to do what I want him to do for me? But that's not how God works. When we align our hearts with his, when we trust him, when we do what he is leading us to do through his spirit, then we receive the desires of our heart because our heart's desires increasingly align with his priorities and purposes for us. Do you see the shift that happens? We're not so consumed with the wicked, we're consumed with God. 
See, David understands how hard this is for us. And David encourages his readers with this advice. Psalm 37, verses 5 to 11. David said, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Gwen and I hung on to that verse. We put our lives in God's hands. Our lives, our reputation, we were upheld by God. Our trust was in him. He goes on in verse 7 to say, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't worry about the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, God says. But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. You see, David is reminding his readers, he's reminding us to take the long view. Don't get derailed by your anger. Don't get stuck in your anger because you will do things you regret. We say foolish things when we're angry. We lash out when we're angry. Remember, God is sovereign. His plans will prevail. As you read Psalm 37, you see Uh, repeated references to the land. And David is reminding the people of Israel God's promises to them. He repeatedly tells them the land, the sign of God's promise to them throughout history since they became God's people will be theirs just as God said. God's rule is secure. He keeps his promises to the people of Israel and to us. The unjust and the wicked will either give their lives to God because he calls them to repent and make things right, or they will bear the ultimate consequences of God's judgment. How do we know this? The next section, verses 12 to 17 of Psalm 37, tell us. They tell us that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. The verses say this. Merciless people make plots against good people and snarl like animals. But the Lord laughs and knows their time is coming soon. The wicked kill with swords and shoot arrows to murder the poor and the needy and all who do right. But they will be killed by their own swords and their arrows will be broken. It is better to live right and be poor than to be sinful and rich. The wicked will lose all of their power. Last week, I came across a news piece uh, about a Hamilton mobster. Pat Musitano. He was 52 years old and he was killed in a parking lot in Burling, Ontario in front of a strip mall on July the 10th. A couple of years ago, his brother Angelo was shot and killed uh, in the driveway of his home. Hamilton police detective Peter Tom uh, said this about these mobster brothers. He said, uh, this was a very public execution, likely the result of his involvement in the family business. The wicked reap what they sow. And eventually by human hands or by the hand of God, judgment will come. Now what happens to those who follow God and trust in him? Listen to verse 
The second half of verse 17 of Psalm 37 said, but the Lord gives strength to everyone who is good. Verse 18 goes on to say, those who obey the Lord are daily in his care and what he has given them will be theirs forever. They won't be in trouble when times are bad. They will have plenty when food is scarce. Wicked people are the enemies of uh, are the enemies of the Lord and will vanish like smoke from a field on fire, even though some people never seem to be judged in their lifetime, they will be judged by God. That's what the Bible tells us. Do not be fooled. Do not live short-sighted. See, we are so often consumed with living the good life now, with getting everything today or this month or this year, that we lose sight of the bigger picture. Now, as we read the Old Testament, which is the first two-thirds of the Bible written before Jesus walked the earth, we can see that the people do not have a strong picture of life after death. Everything they looked for was immediate justice, immediate blessing, or immediate joy. They wanted it all now, blessing now. And we can see that in David's writings. That's why he keeps talking about the land, this promise that the people of Israel always lived with. In the New Testament, Jesus teaches us to live with the end in mind. The apostles, Jesus' disciples, had a strong sense of the future and of God's kingdom that will be fully experienced when Jesus returns. That's why they could endure great injustice. That's why they had faith that justice would prevail. They trusted God to keep his promises. Recently, I was listening uh, to an African-American Pastors speak about the importance of faith in God and the church in the African-American story. And he was going back in time as well as to current today's experiences. He said, we couldn't count on slave masters to, to treat us well, so we went to God. We couldn't count on the government to protect us, so we went to God. We couldn't count on the legal system to administer justice, so we went to God. And now we can't count on the police to protect us, so we go to God. God can be counted on when people cannot be counted on. And he said that is why the church was and is so important, because we know no matter what happens around us, no matter what injustice we experience, we can be honest before our Creator and we can count on God. God is the one who stands when humanity falters. And we know that God, in God, justice will prevail. So because of God, no matter what our circumstance is, we can live with confidence and we can live differently. See, the scripture says the righteous live beyond their circumstances. That's what Psalm 37 is talking about. We live beyond our circumstances. Verses 21 to 31 say this, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Again, God's promise. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. We might stumble, but the Lord upholds us. I have been young and now I am old, David says. I have seen the righteous forsaken or his children Sorry, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. 
He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. David is communicating God's heart for the people who read that then and for us today. David goes on to both describe a righteous person and to assure his readers that putting their trust in God will be rewarded. What are the marks of a righteous person? David says that a righteous or godly person is always generous. He never stops giving. Now, why are they generous? Because their future is secure and their path through life is firm, which we read in verse 23. And their present is provided for, which we read in verse 25. They will never be left helpless because their security is in God. God is faithful and he will not desert his people. Remember the reference to the land, as I mentioned earlier? That reference is pointing to God's faithful promises to his people. God can be trusted. He keeps his promises. God led the people to the promised land and he sustained them in the land he had promised to them as long as they were faithful to him, as long as they lived life God's way. When they started to imitate the unrighteous, the wicked, everything fell apart. Now, does this mean that Christ's followers never go through hard times? Absolutely not. That is clear in the Bible. Does this mean that everything works out the way we hope for? the way we want it to work out in our lives? Not at all. That's also clear in the Bible. So what is David saying? I think the issue is addressed so well in Hebrews 11, in what is famously known as the great faith chapter. And in that chapter, we have all the great heroes of the faith who were faithful to God, but reminded that they did not see the full promise of God in their lifetime. I encourage you to read the chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse 37 of that chapter, which is talking about the difficulty some people went through. It says, Still others were stoned to death, or sawed in two, or killed with swords. Some had nothing but sheepskins or goatskins to wear. They were poor, they were mistreated and tortured. The world did not deserve these good people who had to wander in deserts and mountains and to live in caves and holes in the ground. Verse 39 goes on to say, all of them please God because of their faith. But still they died without being given what had been promised. Why? This was because God had something better in store for us. He did not want them, these faithful people, to reach the goal of their faith without us. You get that? He did not want them to reach the goal of their faith without us. Great people of God saw God do great things, but the text tells us their ultimate reward is coming with the rest of the people who have put their faith in Jesus. And together we will all experience the fullness of God's promises together when Jesus returns to judge the wicked, reward the faithful, establish his kingdom in all of its fullness and glory. See, the people of God live with the end in mind. We put our trust in God both for today and for eternity. That's why we look to God in the midst of injustice. 
That's why we can stand with the oppressed, but not get lost or overwhelmed when there seems to be no way out or through the wickedness and the injustice that we see around us. That's how we can continue walking forward in Christ because we have hope because God's plan and purposes will prevail. God's plan and purposes will prevail. See, in the midst of COVID, of anti-racism riots, uh, of political and economic upheaval, people who put their trust in God can live with a sense of confidence that their future is secure, that their hope in Christ is on a solid foundation, and that they can live with joy and generosity and confidence, even if we are struggling. I like how the contemporary English version of the Bible puts it uh, in Psalm 37, verses 32 to 40. It says, The wicked try and trap, try to trap and kill good people, but the Lord is on their side and he will defend them when they are on trial. Trust the Lord and follow him. He will give you the land. Remember the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as I mentioned earlier. And you will see the wicked destroyed. David says, I have seen brutal people abuse others and grow strong like trees in rich soil. Suddenly they disappeared. I looked, but they were gone and no longer there. Think of the bright future waiting for all the families of honest and innocent and peace-loving people. But not a trace will be left of the wicked or their families. The Lord protects his people. And they come to him in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and saves them from the wicked. Because they run to him. Isn't that a wonderful passage? The Lord helps them and saves them from the wicked because they run to him. The Lord gave his people, the people of Israel, a promised land, but their tenure of the land was frequently under threat, nationally from other kings or individually from grasping and oppressive exploiters, like the kings who did not follow God. Everyone wanted guaranteed security for their home, their land, their nation. And that is why David wants God's justice now. That's why he's crying out in Psalm 37. As I said earlier, the concept of life after death was very dim in the Old Testament. And David wrote this psalm into that context. But we have the benefit of looking back into history through the lens of the life and teaching of Jesus. And we see how the entire biblical story points to Jesus' coming, the teaching, his death, and resurrection, which makes it possible for all who put their faith in him, in Jesus, to live as residents of his kingdom, which will come in all its fullness, in justice and peace when he returns. The New Testament clearly proclaims that humanity will face the judgment of God. So no matter what injustice you see, you can take confidence that justice will prevail. No matter how inconsistent this life may seem, the New Testament promises that in the judgment, righteousness will triumph and evil will be punished. In the meantime, we do work for fair, just, and for fair, just, and equal society. Absolutely. Do we call it injustice when we encounter it? Absolutely. 
But friends, evil people will continue to prosper in ways that are unjust because humanity continues to be marked by our greatest systemic issue, a rebellion against God and our desire to rule ourselves and to serve our personal purposes, which often means people will put themselves and elevate themselves over and against others to the detriment of others. If we run to him, if we run to God, find our delight in him, put our trust in him, he will give us the true desires of our heart, which is to be in relationship with him and to live out the life he has intended for us, which is actually the life we long for, even when we don't know it. But it's that unsettledness we so often experience when we pursue things of this life and they fall short. Now, did everything turn out for Gwen and I the way we had hoped or even thought it should? No, it didn't. But the reality of Psalm 37 was and is our reality. God is faithful. God carried us in our darkest days. And the more we turn to him, the more we delight, he delighted us with his presence. The more we delighted in him and experienced, we experienced his care and provision. Is that your reality? Is that what you desire? I'd like to pray with you to close. And one prayer is for those who have never committed their lives to Christ, who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus. And you can pray with me in a moment. And the second prayer will be for those of us who are struggling with injustice, who think things should be different and we wonder where God is. So if you'd like to walk into a trusting relationship with Jesus, just pray these words with me. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for giving your life as a sacrifice for me, for paying the price for my sins for removing my guilt, for taking my shame onto yourself, for conquering fear so I don't need to live in fear, and for making me an adopted member of your family. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And come and speak into these areas of my life that where anger resides, where injustice seems to be prevailing. I give each of these things to you, Jesus. Guide me forward every day. And now to pray with those who know Jesus but who are struggling. Jesus, I know that many people who are listening and watching this message have experienced injustice. Some in the forms of racism, some in places of employment, others in, with friends or family. Kinds of scenarios where we cry out, why God, why? This seems so unfair. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do the right thing, God. And Father, thank you that that you call us to yourself and you say there is hope in you, that you are trustworthy. And so, Father, I pray for each person today who is struggling in that place, and I pray that they can take whatever that justice, injustice is and they can name it and give it to you and say, Jesus, today I trust you. I give this thing in my life this injustice, this sense of oppression, this struggle to you. And Father, I pray you will come and change the desires of the heart to walk in obedience and generosity and joy to follow you. Father, I also pray for for all of us where we see injustice, where we see racism, where we see oppression, Father, that we will recognize it and we will have the courage to be people who will stand up for justice, to honor people 
whether that be on a systemic level or an interpersonal level. Father, that we will be your people and we will call things out where they need to be called out to reflect your heart for this world. Your heart to point people to you. And Father, I also pray for those who are perpetuating injustice and racism, whether they be in leadership or, again, in interpersonal relationships. Father, I pray for the conviction of your spirit. I pray, Father, that they will repent, that the injustice, the racism, the prejudice, the inappropriate behavior will be named, repented of, and new life will come because you can bring new life to any situation, no matter how dark, because you are trustworthy, you are sovereign, and your promises are secure. So I thank you for this, and I pray that you will go with us as we live out the realities of the struggles of Psalm 37. In your name I pray, amen.